Hi, everyone. Welcome to Season 2 of the We Are BC Fed Leaders podcast. I am Jody Rye, one of the host contributors to the podcast. This is a special impromptu episode with the Visible Minorities Network, where a panel of incredibly talented, highly educated, and simply wonderful women of color share their lived experiences and guidance on careers in the federal public service. The podcast, which was recorded in January of this year, starts with a beautiful land acknowledgement by Lee and ends with her final checkout word of belonging. Listen to the panelists, Lizzie, Elsa, Sigal, Nagam, and Nikita, who share their personal insights, such as how your identity is not anything you should hide, and how differences require patience and intense listening. They also share their thoughts on the value of mentorship and what they have done to pursue careers that have enabled them to feel valued, respected, and purposeful. Happy listening and happy learning. Bujou, Indinawa Maganadog, Apajigo Migwech, Bizindiwaiyeg, Lehindman Nadishnikaz. In my people's language in Ojibwe, I said, hello, all of my relatives, and thank you all so much for listening. My name is Lee Hindman. I'm here to acknowledge my brothers and sisters of the Coast Salish peoples, the Tsleil-Waututh, Squamish, and Musqueam nations, on whose traditional and unceded territories we are privileged to live, work, learn, rest, and play. I also recognize the enduring presence of all Indigenous peoples of North America, AKA Turtle Island. Finally, although I am of Ojibwe descent, I did not grow up with my family or community of my reserve, nor was I raised in the traditional ways of my people. So along with all of you here today, I've made this land acknowledgement also as a guest of the Coast Salish people's traditional and unceded territories here in Vancouver. Miigwech, merci, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lee, so much for that. Um, <laughs> hi, folks. My name is Jody Rye. I am a free agent with the Treasury Board Secretariat, and I um, have the privilege of being the moderator for this panel discussion. My understanding, the first of its kind uh, with the Visible Minorities Network, and so I'm thrilled to be here um, in the room with amazing human beings to talk about um, their life experiences. In terms of starting, uh, we've got um, we've got five panelists with us, and before we begin, I just wanted to to have a brief introduction or note around celebrations that are happening around the world and, and for us in, in BC. Uh, we're coming off of, of course, Christmas and Hanukkah. Um, in January in, uh, in India, there is the celebration called Lodi, which is a celebration of your first uh, born. Uh, traditionally male, but uh, changing in BC. I, I did it for my, my daughter as well as my son. Um, and of course, we have uh, new, uh, Lunar New Year celebrations, uh, which I just learned from Lee, happening with the Niska Nation called Hobai'i. Of course, the Chinese New Year, uh, the year of the rat for 2020. And so we just wanted to acknowledge that there's lots of celebrations happening this month uh, before we begin with speaking to these amazing humans that we have with us. Uh, instead of uh, me introducing each one of them separately, we're going to begin with having each of our panelists introduce themselves uh, and to share their experience in terms of being a visible minority and how that's shaped their career experience. And then we'll sort of follow through with a few other questions as we go through. All right, so I'd love to start with my dear friend Lizzie. Mm -hmm. Great. Uh, my name is Lizzie, and I'm acting project advisor, uh, incident service branch. 
Um, I came to Canada in 2003, and I went to universities in New Brunswick, and I took my ba bachelor and master uh, studies. And after graduating from uh, my master degree in tw 2008, I started working in the government in New Brunswick, and I found my dream job as uh, someone who came from another country and another culture. Mm. I worked in immigration settlement and multiculturalism. I was a program consultant for five years, and I was a team. I became team lead for another three years. And during these eight years, I also I, I had various volunteer jobs, uh, but I had two long-term volunteer uh, jobs, uh, which were learning events chair at the Institute of Public Administration Canada. It's called IPAC Fredericton Regional Group, and I also volunteered as the conference chair in the new professional network in the government. In 2017, I left everything behind me and then I came to BC with my family. I joined the federal government as the citizen service officer uh, with the Service Canada enrichment uh, in November 2017. So when I was in New Brunswick, uh, when I went to meetings or events, I normally I was uh, the only visible minority in the meetings, but when I started working in Richmond, I suddenly became visible majority. <laughs> so that was a, that was a like, kind of culture shock for me. And the 2017, uh, 2019 was a busy year for me. I took on a micro mission in BC Federal Council to work, to be the project lead for uh, organizing the innovation fair. And I applied for many jobs, and I got into five pools and uh, managed. The, uh, I started working as uh, the the acting project advisor upon my return to Service Canada after the innovation. Innovation Fair, and I also managed three volunteer jobs. So I was the communications co-lead in IPAC Vancouver. I was a jurisdiction coordinator in Ymagine and uh, helped with the, the One Team GovOn conference. Mm -hmm. So during my work and volunteer last year, I met so many people who were so creative, passionate, and also action-oriented. So that was really beneficial. So being a visible minority, I found at my previous work, I could contribute more because of my culture and the language. And, uh, and also because I, I'm a visible minority and worked in multiculturalism before, so this made me really open-minded. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. I also wonder about uh, empathy and compassion because you, you as a visible minority and, and living and breathing in that, in that way and then being able to connect with people. So we'll get into that in terms of uh, a little bit later, but thank you. Nikita. Hi, my name is Nikita Chung. I'm quite uh, early in my public service career. I started in roughly 2016 as a student and officially joined in 2017. Uh, Throughout my time in the government, I've had, I think, four jobs already. <laughs> so I've moved around quite a bit. Um, right now, I'm a communications advisor with Service Canada, uh, based out in Vancouver with the Western Canada and Territories region. Uh, I think as a visible minority growing up in BC and Vancouver, as you're saying, there are a lot of people who were similar to me. But what really always shocked me as I grew up and went into new environments is how I can be so different from people who are from the same background as me simply because I grew up in Vancouver mm -hmm. um, having kind of one foot in each culture at all times and that in-betweenness it always gave me a different perspective when I was working and kind of I felt like an ability to see those different angles in any project and I, I kind of attribute it to the fact that I grew up having to think like that all the time at home I would have to translate material day in day out but then at school I would be using only English and sometimes not encouraged to speak another language and all that so having those different perspectives and experiences really shape how I interact with different projects and um, issues in my career. 
Thank you, Nikita. I, I really appreciate you mentioning the idea around where we where we live and grow grow up, and the different cultures that exist, and what that looks like for individuals like us that have ethnicity coming in, as well as uh, other ethnicities and and cultural aspects that influence how we do things and whether we speak in a certain language or not. So I, I appreciate you, you you bringing that to light. Sagal, who I just met this morning, well, yes. well, welcome and please. Yes. So Sagal Dlahi, I actually flew in for this event. My day job is. Oh, well, my day job technically is my all-time job is just a mother. <laughs> but getting paid, I am a senior program advisor with TISM B. And I'm also the communications manager of the Visible Minorities Network. So my story. So I started as a bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, uh, you know, young graduate, just like most of you, a long, long ago. Um, and again, because I grew up in Ottawa, I decided I don't want to stay in Ottawa. All my life, I watch the stuffy public servant because we know that Ottawa is the federal capital of the public servants. Um, so I've watched those people, those people, which I am now, um, <laughs> run around in their suits and their running shoes. And I just said, absolutely not me. <laughs> and so I decided I wanted an adventure. I have family in the Middle East. I took that leap of faith and I moved to the Middle East. And I started my career um, as an HR advisor to a multinational company in Dubai. And I oversaw HR, the HR function for the entire Gulf region. So with that, it exposed me to visible minorities because the environment was full of expats. The Middle yeah. East is essentially an expat economy, um, driven economy. And so I was exposed to people of all different walks of life and backgrounds and you know perspectives when it came to really approaches and problem solving. And so I was fortunate enough to, er to learn early in my uh, career that differences amongst all of us is really what creates an environment um, that requires lots of patience, lots of intense and engaged listening, and collaboration to solve the problems and risks for my organization. Um, so I took that along with me in, throughout my career. And following my five years in Dubai, I moved back to Canada because I was like, that's enough sun. I need some winter. <laughs> so I moved back to Toronto, where I ended up being an HR business partner for a uh, what originally started off as a Canadian company, and then through many mergers and acquisitions, built its, its uh, mandate uh, and actually expanded to the United States, as well as Ireland and Israel and England and India. And so again, I was fortunate enough to be exposed to an environment that was full of diversity and inclusion and working with lots of folks again um, at all different levels that were enabled and empowered to collaborate for solutions uh, to problem solving. And this really showed me, you know, how people of all different walks of life are able to get along and really build um, solutions together. I also saw, um, although majority of my career I spent again in the private sector, and so our success was really measured by the EBITDAs and the ROIs and et cetera. But I also saw it in my happy colleagues who, you know, year after year continue to be driven and motivated to contribute to their organization. 
I came back to Ottawa after all that adventure due to some, you know, life changes. I got a divorce, I had a kid, Toronto was expensive. <laughs> so I moved back to Ottawa where I began and I decided, oh boy, I guess I'm gonna have to become that public servant that I was trying to avoid since again, there's nothing else to do in Ottawa <laughs> but to become that. So I took that leap of faith again and change careers and I knew that you know to get in because I didn't spend you know my formidable years as an F-swap student and you know <laughs> trying to get into the government I had to work my way up so three years ago I started as a casual AS1 for a DG through my skills I kind of, of demonstrated course. that I was able to have more contributions to his organization and so from that I turned my casual into a uh, term and from that three years later I am now the senior program advisor to one of ESDC's major programs. And so that's the short end of my story. <laughs> <laughs> and I am very happy to be in rainy Vancouver. Aww. I always thought that must be a joke, but it is not. <laughs> <laughs> Vancouver thought it should truly deliver on its reputation. Yes. Right? Thank, you. Thank you very much. From the snow, we bring you the rain. <laughs> introduction and I and I just from mom to mom really appreciate you starting with that I recently updated my LinkedIn profile and my resume to show mom as my, as my yes. career yes. Um, yes because I do see the importance of oh, that, yes of I parenting. wake up at 4 30 every day oh, that is when my true job starts yeah. <laughs> I also love the, the part that you brought in in terms of embracing different perspectives and the power that that can bring when you you find commonality because you said you were it was a pleasant surprise but also um, amazing to be working in an environment where there are so many different perspectives coming in, but yet work's getting done. Mm -hmm. And so finding that common piece can be quite powerful in organizations. So thank exactly. you for bringing that up. Thank you. Next we have Nagam. Hi, everyone. So I'm a mom-to-be. <laughs> I'll start that with that. Aww. Enjoy your sleep. <laughs> <laughs> one last, one last. Okay. So I'll start out actually my story before I was born. My parents, I joke with them and say, we are gypsies. <laughs> we have been traveling before I was born by a good 20 years. My wow. parents, they're mixed. I'm a bit Arab Turkish, but region wise, Iraq, uh, Syria, and Turkey. And apparently my grandma is of Russian descent, so <laughs> we mixed them up really well. But my parents grew up in London, and uh, I was born in Iraq. And at the age of three, I moved to Africa. So I did my school in Sudan, which essentially I was the only white girl. Reverse, like you talk about minority, I've been a minority as long as I can remember. When we moved to Canada, <laughs> when we moved to Canada again, uh, now I may have had the white skin, but I came from a very different culture and adapting to that was a different journey. And finally deciding to put on the scarf and boy did I have a wake up call because all of a sudden there is flavor of the day and this is not the flavor of the day so jokes aside uh, my background so I work right now I'm the senior consultant for PASA planning accountability and strategic mm -hmm. analysis I work with SSV Service Canada and I started with the government pretty young I started as a co-op student and I wanted to follow my dad's step my dad was a diplomat and wanted to develop uh, a different communities and region and I really thought myself to like uh, travel the world and develop but very quickly when you work in PD you learn that 
we need development in our own backyard more than mm -hmm. anything, right? Uh, you cannot forget about that. So I decided to stay and life takes you in funny journeys and you know, like you said, life goes up and down and whatever. And so I realized as we were going through the downturn in 2012 approximately as a government i decided to pursue my masters and that's how i got the opportunity to join pasa now as a visible minority uh, i have to say it's been a blessing because people remember your face <laughs> more than anything but also it, it's honestly one of those things when you grow up as a visible minority you don't necessarily think of yourself as a visible minority right so the running joke when when i see forms and says visible minority i put in bracket with or without my scarf as a human or as an alien i don't know <laughs> so yes that's my story <laughs> oh my god i'm not even sure where to start <laughs> Bounced all over the world. Uh, I love your energy. Thank you so much. And I, I love the aspect around memory and, yes. and memorability. Yes. And how we see ourselves versus mm -hmm. how others see us. Yes. And the power that that has. It's um, beautiful the way, the way that you said that. So thank you so much. Thank you. Last but not, uh, but not least, certainly not least because this woman shares the same music uh, interest that I have, which is George Michael. We have Elsa with us. Welcome, Elsa. Thank you. Uh, my name is Elsa Chudelaguila. I am originally from Peru, so I came to Canada a little over 20 years ago, actually, to pursue my master's degree in translation. So that's actually what brought me to the country and ultimately made me stay in the country because it was through my master's degree that I met my now husband. We have two beautiful kids. Yes, drive us crazy, but they're still there. <laughs> we still, we're still all together and hopefully we'll continue to be. The concept of visible minority is interesting to me from the standpoint that in Peru, having already immigrated to Canada, obviously as a full-blown adult, was never such a concept to me. Because in Peru, we have so much over the years and decades and, 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 and uh, centuries, we've had so much immigration from so many different countries. So if you look at me, for those who can see me or for those who have read my bio somewhere when I posted it and uh, as part of the uh, my corporate role, already in me, there is such a mixture of nationalities uh, you know, like my, my dad was half Chinese. So I, there you go, like that already, my dad was already a mix. So me and then my mom, who knows, we're still figuring out where the family <laughs> actually comes from. So definitely Peruvian, but I think, you know, family history has it that potentially De Laguila comes from a De Laquila from Italian. So we still don't know, but you can see that there, there's already a lot of mix within myself and within my family. And you know, my whole environment in Peru, growing up, wherever it is that I was, was always surrounded by all these cool mixes of people. Like it, there's so many European waves that came into the country, many Asian waves. Some of you may recall that we had in Peru some Japanese descent president now in jail, etc. Uh, so <laughs> nothing against the Japanese. Uh, I love uh, Japanese food. Uh, but, but you see, even then talking about Japanese, it actually brings me to the fact that my dad, having had his dad immigrate from China into Peru the way that he was brought up you don't even mention Japan to me right oh. and uh, so I didn't become exposed to Japanese actually Japanese food till I arrived in Canada mm -hmm. and it was like oh I don't know like I never heard about this oh, well, 
I heard about it, but I just never yeah. in my family never was brought to experience that. In, in my family, we've always been foodies. My family has a restaurant back home, etc. So it's like it wasn't until I arrived here, and it's funny now. My dad's been gone for a while now, but my mom, when I introduced her to Japanese food, I mean, just taking us all over the place, but. <laughs> She's like, oh, I love this. I said, yes, I know, me too. <laughs> Not to say that we don't love Chinese food, but we love all kinds of food. But it was just this, again, this upbringing. And because of the war zones and what family history with Japanese killing some family members, I don't want to remember that. So there was a lot of cultural family history baggage that was, you know, okay, we have to fend ourselves off this from, from that perspective, right? And, and again, so the, where, where did I go there? So I, I, I have been brought up in a context where there's no such a thing of a visible minority. We all are, and it's true, there's always, you know, some groups of folks that tend to think they are pure in whatever race that happens to be or ethnicity, but really that's more often than not, not the case anyway. So that was never a concept to me till I arrived in Canada. And it was still not a concept to me until through having done my master's and having worked through the private sector, rebuilding my career when I came here, you know, going all the way from administrative jobs. So just to give you an idea back in my background. So I studied a BA in translation or undergrad in translation and interpreting in Peru, but there was not a master's degree. And so this is what attracted me to uh, and brought me to Canada to start with. But so back home, I, I had a full-blown career. Yeah. So, you know, I, I taught at the university. I had a, a business with two other colleagues, a translation business agency going on. So I really had no need to immigrate anywhere. Yet I knew that in, in pursuit of a master's degree, I needed to get out of the country because it wasn't there. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, I'm always being a very realistic person. Yes, it hurts. It's going to hurt, but I still want to do it. So it's taking, taking, taking that courage and building that massive courage to come into a country where I knew nobody, right? So, and I'm gonna cry out. <laughs> so anyway, so it, it took a lot of courage and especially when I look back, it's like, wow, I really did all of that, right? Yeah. So for me, going through the private sector, I, I rebuilt my career and all of that in the financial sector, just cause it happened to be that my translation job finally got me back a- a- into the financial institutions through some restructuring got laid off, awesome, uh, not. Uh, so I started my own business business, uh, freelancing and stuff. And this is when I became aware of, oh my gosh, it's so hard to reinsert myself into the market when I've already been in management in the private mm-hmm. sector. Yeah. Nobody yeah. wants to hire me, yeah. even though I love translating. There's nobody yeah. wants to hire me because now all of a sudden I became overqualified for having managed people for the last 10 years, right? So it's like, so I was doing freelancing and this is where my husband had gotten already, had been a public servant for a little while. And it matches me, he kept an eye on things that out there. And this is actually where an external public service uh, EX1 competition came out specifically for visible minorities. And this was what, like 12, 13 years ago, roughly, because I've been a public servant for 10 years, so must have been 12 or 13 years ago. And I was like, hmm, I saw it and I'm like, yeah, but I don't think, like, I don't think I'm going to make it, right? Uh, And he's like, no, you should totally apply for that because you you fit the bill, blah, blah, blah. So so through his encouragement and his, I'm going to go through your application because I know how particular we are in the public (laughs) service. (laughs) Right? We know we have we have all nicely, right? 
but this is gonna tie into other things I'm yeah. gonna say later. But it's I'm making it too. It's too long. But anyway, <laughs> so <laughs> uh, I was like, okay, like visible minorities is a real asset from that mm. perspective that allowed me. And this is answering a different question: how I came to be in the public service. So I actually had. When, when I was offered a position, I turned on two others, uh, cities I wouldn't live into because I was already living in Toronto at the time and I was cold enough having come from Peru. And I said like Winnipeg and the territories, no, thank you, but no thank you. I'm, I'm cold enough here. If I'm gonna move, it has to be somewhere slightly less cold just from the Canada perspective. So eventually an opportunity came up in BC. And, and so this is what eventually brought me to Vancouver and I, moved with my husband and our one son at the time and uh, moved all the way here to beautiful and rainy Vancouver. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and and so visible minority that, that like for me a concept such as that was like what? Hmm. What are we talking about? So again, it's getting used to the different reality and context of a different country mm -hmm. that approaches things in a different way because yeah. the context and the reality are different. And, and on, on that, my husband is not of Canadian descent either. My husband is of Greek, uh, Cypriot descent. Hmm. So you can just imagine our kids are these beautiful kids. <laughs> <laughs> just saying, just saying. Does he, um, does he speak uh, Greek? Yes, he, he does. does. So, so our poor you? kids, sorry? Do you Speak? I understand mm. some of it. So ah. uh, through that, our kids, I only speak Spanish to them. Mm. My husband only speaks French to them. And they've learned English through osmosis, basically. Cool, yeah. And poor things are being subjected to Greek school as well. That's so, <laughs> Well, that's, that's interesting. Thank you, Elsa. Yeah. Um, I wanted to, uh, there's so much that you mentioned in there. There was a couple of things that you said that I thought was really interesting. And one in particular that resonated quite strongly for me in terms of self-identifying as a mm -hmm. visible minority. Uh, in your career and what that may or may not do uh, for you. I appreciate you saying that because in, in our in our careers and in the public service and other sectors, uh, are you going to mm -hmm. identify as a visible minority? And in staffing law and rules mm -hmm. in yes. the public service, we have the Employment Equity Act. And so you're looking at gap, quote unquote, visible minority and whether you want to staff certain positions to bring up representation. And I remember when I started in the government in 2001, I was filling out my form as a new HR mm -hmm. advisor, PE1, and I purposely did not put down that I was a visible minority. Oh. And I remember this day where I thought, I remember sitting at the desk thinking, well, no, I don't, what why, is that? Why does that matter? <laughs> not even what is that, but what does it matter? Mm -hmm. I wanted to be acknowledged for my intellect and my heart mm -hmm. and my mm -hmm. spirit. And then what I thought was very interesting was when I, my boss then came to me a couple weeks later and said, Jody, do you mind if we do put in visible minority? And I said, okay, well, why? She's because then your salary will be covered for a year outside of my salary. Oh, wow. In a good, as a good thing, not <laughs> yeah. as a bad thing, but very interesting in terms of policy and procedure, mm -hmm. rules, and what that looks like in terms of representation within the government and how we make mm -hmm. things happen. Mm -hmm. So I, I just bring that up just for that, for that reason um, uh, alone. I, um, uh, I want to thank you all for your introductions and there's so much uh, meat uh, to, to what you've said. Uh, we really didn't go through each one of you having separate questions. So I'd love for this to be a dialogue with an introduction to the first, uh, first sort of set of questions. And then as you feel wanting to contribute, um, please please do if that's okay. Great. Um, so the, the next question I'm curious about, and I'm gonna start with Nikita uh, in terms of advice. Uh, a, lo a lot of the reason why, because of your role in, in GovernX mm -hmm. um, and the idea of supporting young professionals. Uh, I get the whole uh, semantics about young and your professional network and all of that, but advice that you might have for folks, regardless of age, 
coming into the public service, uh, I think is an important point. Unless in, uh, if, you, if you have advice speaking from your, your generation in terms of young, um, I'd love to hear what, you, what advice you have for them um, in terms of starting out and if they're a visible minority, what do you think they should know or maybe <coughs> tips that you have for them? Well, I think I was fortunate to grow up in a generation where visible minorities or that concept, it really, like you're saying, it really was not what? a thing. Yeah. Like, I, I grew up in a world where, you know, it was just normal to know the person who immigrated from, like, Japan or, you know, from Greece over there, and that was just a thing, right? So growing up, it was never a concept to me until I actually joined the public service, mm -hmm. and when you were talking about that, Elsa, it really reminded me of that, because I never really felt it was that big of like a, a title or like yeah. a marker until I kind of joined the public service and I filled out that employment yeah. equity and I went uh sure I guess but like everybody I knew growing up was also like me <laughs> our parents are immigrants from China yeah. Hong Kong Taiwan God knows where in Asia yeah. we all grew up here forced to go to weekend language schools <laughs> going like okay I guess this will be useful one day but why do I need to learn of yeah. And then we all went through the same identity crisis of yeah. like rejecting all of us saying, I don't want to be labeled with like all the people other there over there. I, I was born here too, I'm the same. Yeah. And then going back and then saying, oh, like I actually really appreciate my background. I want to yeah. dig back into my roots. I want yeah. to learn more and I regret not valuing what my parents had given me earlier. Mm -hmm. And why, why is that? Well, what brought you to that insight? Well, for example, so I had about four years of my childhood where I completely rejected being Chinese. Mm. I did not acknowledge it. And we had a huge influx of immigrants from China. And like a lot of those kids were kind of bullied. And as a child, yeah. you don't want to be labeled. Yeah. So my friends and I who grew up here, we all kind of rejected ourselves mm. and said, you know, we're not that. We're Canadian. We don't oh. speak Chinese. Mm. We don't know any Chinese, even though we did. Mm. We pretended we didn't because we didn't want a marker. Mm -hmm. And when I got to high school, they let you pick your second language and I picked Mandarin because I was like, Psh, yeah, I'm gonna ace this, no problem. <laughs> French, that's hard. Like, I know Chinese, I grew up like learning part of it. Little did I know joining Mandarin class, there were kids in there who had immigrated. Um, they had gone out of ESL, so they were completely fluent. And I spoke Cantonese at home and I'm sitting there going, wow, I'm an idiot. <laughs> this was a terrible choice. I went from being like knowing everything to I am the lowest common denominator. And that experience in itself growing Probably. up, changing my identity all the time, not knowing who I was, where I fit in, traveling around the world with my family on vacations and interacting with people who were of my background and of my roots telling me, no, you're not Chinese. And I'm going, no, but I am like, I can speak. And they're like, no, 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 no. You didn't grow up here. You don't belong here. And then realizing that even in back home in Canada, sometimes I get that too. And I'm like, guess I'm a unicorn. Um, <laughs> That, Beautiful one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but I mean, all of those experiences mm -hmm. when I joined the public service and through my career and like the advice that I can give to young people joining is like, just don't be afraid to share your culture. Mm -hmm. Don't be, mm -hmm. be afraid to like bring things up and just talk about it. Um, I remember working, I know you worked at DFO. Mm -hmm. um, I remember my first few months at DFO, it was Chinese New Year. And I saw a bunch of the Chinese New Year, like basically prosperity scrolls and yeah. a bunch of the decorations up. And I, it really reminded me that, you know, it's not something you ever need to hide. Mm -hmm. And that's the same with your skills, your ambition, everything. It's not something you need mm -hmm. to hide. It's something you should be proud of, hone and share that. Mm -hmm. And if you're passionate and if you express it enough, 
people will take note because it's contagious. It's, it really is. The, um, the idea around what influences us mm-hmm. and then yeah. how we show up. And, and Elsa, you mentioned that as well, that, you know, uh, don't talk about anything to do with Japan, yeah. uh, you know, yeah. because of the, you know, your upbringing family and, and, and family history. Um, and in, in your case, Nikita, the idea of what it was like when you were younger growing up and sort of the idea of shunning away from your mm-hmm. cultural background. Um, and that's, you know, really powerful to recognize that, that we're influenced by so much mm-hmm. as we grow up. Uh, and then as we are now an adult wanting to do what, uh, what you know, living a life of what we're going to be when we grow up, um, whether or not we go back to our roots, um, it is very interesting for, for, for people and, and hard to do. It, it takes mm-hmm. courage. Uh, for some, uh, for some, the idea of diversity or, or ethnicity is is a moot point. Like both of mm-hmm. you, Nikita and Elsa, have talked about that. That that wasn't really anything that even came up for you. But for others, depending yeah, on their yeah. life experiences and how they've been influenced, it's yes. a really big deal. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then to own that is even um, can be even harder. Uh, and so advice around own it, uh, be proud of it, mm-hmm. recognize what that brings. I think in terms yeah. of career enhancement mm-hmm. is what you is that a summary that's safe. Yes, it yeah, is. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Safe meaning like, have I captured your thought. <laughs> yeah, the short of it is just be proud of whatever experiences you have, share mm-hmm. them, and just spread that sort of positivity because there may be a lot of people out there who have kept that inside mm-hmm. because their experiences have told them otherwise. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, what about and, others? Oh, yes. Can I also echo that as well? And that's mm-hmm. a great point. Mm-hmm. What I was going to say in terms of advice that I would give for visible minorities, new visible minorities entering the public service, is just don't let someone else's path essentially dictate what your path is. Mm-hmm. Every No two people are the same, right? So again, like the, I wanna echo, like build a network of allies. Build people around mm-hmm. you. Make sure you have positive influencers around you because that's what's really gonna keep you motivated and keep you driven day in, day out. It's a hard Mm -hmm. knock to be a public servant. (laughs) We contribute to so much Mm -hmm. when we really, really think about it. And we have so many challenges and factors in our way, but just to keep positive people and positivity around us is crucial. Mm -hmm. And I also wanted to make a point of um, the, just as a new public servant, I wish I would have known earlier in my career what the TBS key competencies are. I think we should all be looking at those very more often Mm. and especially the two new ones that they introduced um, around innovation and guiding change as well as collaborating with stakeholders Mm -hmm. I think to me that just speaks to there is something to be said about soft skills Mm -hmm. and I don't think as leaders we don't we don't think of a traditional leader as having those soft skills so that empathy that you know being able to just speak to others understanding others network connecting others there's so much value in that Mm -hmm. and I think culturally because visible minorities are more culturally um, in a place where you know family traditions are more collaborative inclusive that we can bring that to the table mm-hmm. and we can really really change and be agents of change through our you know innate cultural um, behaviors and having that brought to the place of work and through expressing them through you know these key competencies mm-hmm. I think will really help change the, the lay of the land. It's great, uh, great points there mm-hmm. in terms of guiding your career and, mm-hmm. and things that you may or may not want to consider. Uh, Leaders GC did a live Twitter chat last night oh. on professional networks. 
and there were questions in there about, well, why? Why would I join one? And Seagal, to your point, you, you just named a really valuable one. Um, surround yourself with folks that, that, that can help to build mm -hmm. you. And that maybe also even challenge you uh, in mm -hmm. ways that are good, right? Getting out of our comfort zone. Uh, and then the guidance around the, the leadership competencies um, uh, very HR of you, which I, you know, we're, we have that background. And so right away, I'm like, I want to give you a hug for saying that. But also just, um, you know, how do you connect the dots when it comes to in your career? Um, and so connecting the dot around being a visible minority and what that looks like and owning the strength that it brings mm -hmm. based on culture. Mm -hmm. So many, many cultures um, have this idea of sense of family and community mm -hmm. and building relationships. And depending again on where you work and what country you're in, mm -hmm. in, in or even continent, North America versus Europe, the, a siesta is celebrated and done regularly in, in certain countries in Europe. Yeah. Take three hours and go, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. There's that famous saying, work to live versus live to work. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so those are cultural elements that mm -hmm. come into play that we can possibly bring in yeah. to North America, to Canada, to the public service based on our ethnicity and our own backgrounds. Um, and so well, how beautiful is that? And then to see how you can connect that to TBS's leadership competencies. <laughs> you know, because the connections are important, right? Yes. And it can be hard yes. to, to know that as, yeah. a, as a public servant. Yeah. Like, how am I supposed to figure out where I want to go? And yeah, exactly. yeah. beautiful. Yeah. What about others in terms of advice? What did you I, think I of? I can step in, but I'm going to shift it from all the positive talk. Let's talk about the negative talk. So uh, it comes in two aspects. One people have preconceived notions mm -hmm. about what it is to be a minority and therefore, okay, so let me start out with saying I am fluent in English mm -hmm. and only English. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I do have an accent, but it's probably, it's a speech pattern of some kind because I really don't, I, I speak half sentences in Arabic. And to the point, <laughs> let me just make you laugh a little bit harder. I thought I was swearing in Arabic. My husband is on the floor laughing. He's like, it's not even Arabic. <laughs> so anyways, so uh, point is, people have preconceived notions. And I've, I've done my elementary school here, my high school here, my undergrad here, mm -hmm. and my master's here. And I've been told, maybe because English is your second language. Oh, it's, not. Uh, it's not, literally. I can't even speak any other language. But it, this kind mm. of speech, we hear it quite often as yes. minorities. And um, it, it comes, it, whether we like to admit it or not, we have a tendency of self-deprecation uh, as well. Thank you very much. Um, it, it, I'm telling myself, maybe I'm not good enough. The truth is, Persistence is such mm -hmm. a key thing. Mm -hmm. No matter how many times it takes, you do have the skills. Mm -hmm. Don't let anyone or anything tell you you don't. All it takes is a little bit harder, uh, harder work, possibly, mm -hmm. but you will get there with a lot of hard work and persistence. And uh, I know this is touching on another question, but uh, have, have a mentor. If you feel you're a little bit lost, ask someone for guidance and i can't talk enough about how many times i've gone to people and been like what do you think mm -hmm. what should i should i not so my word would mm -hmm. be persistent persistence persistence okay. thank yeah. you for that yeah and nagam you said negative but i didn't hear any and negativity i think <laughs> I, and i say that quite wholeheartedly with the idea that this is just reality yes and the reality is is that we we each one of us regardless of what we look like um are unique and how we are perceived by others we have no control over yep. biases exist and so whatever that looks like in terms of what you do because of that a tip around don't stop persist yes. know your value is very very powerful so thank you for that
Um, I'd love to jump, just because you, you went into the mentorship piece, so I think we can jump to that, but I just wanted to see if um, Lizzie and Elsa, if you had anything that you wanted to give in terms of advice. Okay, I do have something. I have five, five pieces of advice. Um, so, you know, like, uh, talk to people. Talk mm -hmm. to people, like, this person doesn't have to be like manager or director, mm -hmm. could be anyone, because you never know, there, there will be one sentence really inspire you and, you know, make you um, like become a better you. So the first advice I heard is from a director uh, when I was in New Brunswick. Uh, she said, don't just sit at the corner, because when you sit at the corner, people mm -hmm. feel like you are happy there, you are satisfied, so you are not, now asking for more, mm -hmm. and then we, we are now thinking about you when there are opportunities. Mm -hmm. So don't be just the one, sit at the corner. Tell others you know, what you are interested in and uh, show your skills. Can I just say, you totally just made me think of Dirty Dancing. <laughs> when, <laughs> when Patrick Savy says, no one puts baby in a corner. <laughs> I'm sorry. Sorry, Lisa. Just, but thank you. Sorry, continue. Uh, so the second piece of advice is uh, taking on in initiatives and volunteers. So you know, you could see like I did a lot of volunteer work, uh, but you know, like because of busy life and a busy work, choose your volunteer wisely. Mm -hmm. uh, you have to think about your interests, your goals, and how your volunteer work can help you. And the number three is that when you raise uh, up your hands for something like maybe a volunteer work or initiative, take it and own it. Mm -hmm. Because, uh, you know, like when I did volunteer work, I see a lot of people, okay, I volunteer and I want to put this on my resume, but mm -hmm. never did anything and then left the, 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 yeah. the, the volunteer job. So, you know, this is an opportunity for you really to learn and also build your own reputation. So take it and own it. And number four is brand yourself. So many people, you know, like you do a lot of work, you work hard, but you are like tend to be just like working working hard instead of like branding yourself so besides working hard brand yourself tell people who you are what you have done what you are good at and uh, you know tell them what you are looking for so the last piece of uh, the, the advice is uh, networking so mm -hmm. a lot of people already mentioned networking um, but networking also depends depends on like which region you are and, the, and the, like who you are meeting with but in most cases networking has been really effective you know you meet people who become your sole friends. Like, you know, last year I met so many, like I met Jody, I met uh, Ajwa, Nakita. Uh, so, you know, like you see people who are also passionate like mm -hmm. you. So, you know, you, you find the people who can support you too. Beautiful. Yeah. That's really great. Very succinct too. Five uh, solid, <laughs> solid. I love it. Um, and I just want to comment on the branding piece because I think for myself in, t in 2001 and being in HR in the public service, if, if someone ever said to me, well, you should brand yourself because that's going to help you in terms of your career, I would have been like, uh, no, that's not how staffing <laughs> happens. That's not how promotions happen. We are in a, a day and an age in the public service and in the world um, where things are changing and there's movement in terms of recognizing and honoring who you are and what you bring and so the idea of branding you although it sounds like a buzzword there's changes happening in the federal government that allow for yeah this is what I did and I volunteered and I put my hand up and I connected with so-and-so that you can bring to the table where the old staffing rules that are still old and existent but there's still ways that that you can really put your best foot forward and show your brand and help yourself in terms of what it is that you want to help in terms of the world so thank you for for, for that piece Elsa Basically, everything uh, I've, I already had was going to say, the only two things I would like to really reiterate is push yourself, get out of your comfort mm -hmm. zone. Mm -hmm. I know, uh, which gets coupled with, oh, no, I'm not good enough for that, right? Like mm -hmm. That's self-screening out of an opportunity. If it's something that is of interest to you, give it a go. What's the worst that can happen? Oh, well, at least I gave it a go and I... No, not my cup of tea or my 
bottled water. In this case. <laughs> <laughs> but really, right? Like, if it's something that interests you, and if 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 you have a skill or you have a piece of knowledge that you think may come in handy uh, for your workplace to start with, put up your hand. Mm-hmm. Like, there's so many opportunities that are not necessarily work-related per se such as you know uh np national public service mm-hmm. week chargeable campaign i don't know social committee where you can really become more visible from the uh, networking perspective and from showcasing what other skill sets you have from your not within work life right mm-hmm. like i have my most la- my largest cadre is citizen services officers and we encourage our team much as Lisa has put up her hands for everything that comes up mostly <laughs> thank you <laughs> and doing amazing work because actually that's how she became noticed yeah. right like uh not myself campaign not what was, was not myself today uh not myself today yeah campaign um, like she started actually with that and i was like oh wow like you could see her enthusiasm and it's like okay but that's what makes you become noticed not mm-hmm. only sure your day job you have to do that well as well but beyond that where else can i leverage your skill set mm-hmm. uh, and it is we have through TSMB transformation and integrated integration and yeah, that. <laughs> <laughs> that so I just wanted you to spell it out because I keep forgetting what it is. Don't Spells ask out. me what it is. In I French. know. TSMB. <laughs> yeah. So that's our national uh, team that's leading all the transformation going on in the department. There such such as those opportunities that are always being farmed out to the regions, where is all this hidden talent that we could be tapping mm-hmm. into? Mm-hmm. And it was it wouldn't be if we are talking to our staff and them making us aware. Sure, we do it during PA discussions and all that, but also any other time that you think, like the other day, we had a request from BEA, we're looking to establish a network of SharePoint savvies just in case we need to tap into, right? So I have one of my team leaders who actually had to look into that a lot because we were for something for work, right? But now they're trying to set up like a networking something that they could just tap into each other. But again, if I didn't become aware of his work, I wouldn't be able to put up his hand for him. (laughs) 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 And he welcomed that right again, right? But it's it's again, part of that network. So um, the yeah, beautifully said in terms of uh, going out of your comfort zone and the courage that that really does take for many people to, to do that. You know, the the fear of rejection. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's there's different elements that come up in our work in terms of being psychologically safe to put to say something and do something. And I've heard many stories from employees that say, well, I did put my hand up, and then I was told, no, operationally, we can't let you go. And I still think that that happens. And and what I would love to see happening is more encouragement of continuing to push. Um, Nagam talked about persistence. You know, if, if, if your direct supervisor has that, well, I can't, I'm not saying necessarily step on toes or override, but at the end of the day, this is meant to be a collective in terms of a better mm-hmm. public service. Exactly. And so if their mindset is one where I can't, you might be surprised to see that the champion or the person above them is like, well, are you sure we can't mm-hmm. make it work? Yeah. And so be creative in terms of going and stretching yourself. Um, and the, the opportunities that really do come from volunteerism, uh, make it happen on your own versus waiting for it to come to you uh, is, is a powerful um, message that I heard from what you 
you said, Elsa. So thank you for, for saying that. Um, can we jump to mentorship? It's, mm -hmm. it's January and I was told yeah. that um, <laughs> I, I didn't realize month. it's mentor month. Yeah. And, and, and Nagam started with the idea as that being a tip, perhaps look for a mentor. And so I'd love to hear uh, your thoughts in terms of the value of mentorship. And maybe we could start with um, Sagal, if you don't mind, yeah. in terms of what value do you see in mentorship? I think, again, just because it's, it's part of your toolbox, right? So mentorship to me is key. I think find mentors, though, who are going to teach you um, how to improve your blind spots. So before you even get a mentor, I really do think know what your, know what your, know who you are and know what you're missing so that you're able to not just waste your time and the mentor's time, because we can all just sit there and ask, okay, how did you get here? How did you do this? But really, what, did it, what is it that you're looking to get out of the mentor? So if we can specifically think about those things mm -hmm. and have that as our approach to the conversations, I think it would be more effective and more valuable than as opposed to hearing, okay, well, what's your story and how can I, you know, maneuver that same? Because again, mm -hmm. no two people's mm -hmm. paths are the same and we all have different blind spots. I can tell you for myself, yeah. mm -hmm. I am not a detail-oriented person <laughs> at all. <laughs> so thing we have I in common. Know, right? <laughs> so, and I try to, and I've been fortunate enough even in my career to kind of select it select the types of groups I want to be into I know when I'm in when I'm when I'm being interviewed I also like to ask questions about well how is your team's makeup what you know different uh, types of personalities but also skill sets do you currently have on your team mm -hmm. so that I know okay is that a good balance for me will I be learning because mm -hmm. every opportunity is a learn a learning opportunity mm -hmm. so I do think that you know in terms of membership mentorship it's more for me about coaching. So coach me and really add value to me in my cadre of, you know, my toolbox of skills. Yeah. And what I love in terms of what, you, what you've said is there's a, there is a very big distinction between coaching and mentoring yeah. in terms of skill set and, and sort of the intent of, of, of both sort of disciplines, if you want to call it yeah. that. But the idea is that, well, do I want you to be my mentor? Mm -hmm. And I kind of like that at the end of the day because I think that there, especially in the public service, I have found over the years very much like um, if you're at a certain level, then you automatically should be mentoring people. And I don't know if that's necessarily the way to look at yeah. it. Uh, in BC, in particular, BC Federal Council is, is, has had a mentorship program uh, that's going to be relaunched again. And some of the wording that was being looked at was uh, mentor, reverse mentoring. Yeah. Uh, and when that happened and the wording was put up there, I, was, I, I feel lucky enough to be a part of the conversation. I said, I don't know if I like the word reverse mentoring. I know it's out there, even mm -hmm. outside of the public mm -hmm. service. Um, and I thought, well, why does it have to be reverse? And so the individual who's working on it, uh, this amazing woman, she said, well, what if we just called it like interactive mentoring? I'm like, yeah, that sounds really, really great. Mm -hmm. And the champion at the time was Judy Beck, who also was like not totally keen on this reverse part. But what I like about it is, to your point, Sagal, is that there's there's mutual gain from yep. both individuals in that relationship. Mm -hmm. And so, for for the when you talk about mentorship, don't be shy to find out what do I want from this, mm -hmm. and be okay to ask questions, mm -hmm. whether that be in a mentorship role or a coaching role, or whether you want to join a professional network. Yeah. What's wrong with finding out whether they're going to meet your needs or not? And if they don't, then maybe you move on. Mm -hmm. And if and if they don't, maybe they're going to say, well, maybe we should change and, and incorporate that as part of this, mm -hmm. this network. Yep. So thank you for, for that. Um, what else, folks? When you go to meet with your mentor, whoever it may be, a team leader, a manager, a colleague, whoever, because it could be at any mm -hmm. level, 
the way I always like to do it is present this scenario, say what I've done, and then put my concerns. That way, I am getting feedback, being a little bit more tangible. I don't want the advice to be all over the place. Sure, anybody can tell you, just work harder, right? Great, I'll work harder, right? Mm -hmm. uh, just, you know, make sure to e uh, read over your emails or whatever it may be that the advice they're giving you. But when you have a tangible example, you are able to actually walk away with a, a, a tangible skill or something to work on. So for example, right now uh, with my mentor, I constantly ask, how can I improve? Don't tell me I'm great. Yes, I'm great. Okay, fine. <laughs> but give me where, what is something I want to improve? And so last time she, uh, she literally gave me something that was so fluffy. So when we followed up on our conversation, she goes, I know you weren't happy with my response last time. <laughs> <laughs> and then the following time when we met up, she gave me an actual tangible thing to work on because nice. she was ready for the conversation. Nice. So don't be scared to ask mm -hmm. for what it is that you need mm -hmm. yeah. or want. Right? And I think that's really important in terms of which role is the individual playing? Mm -hmm. So there's this idea about, well, if I'm the mentor, what, what am I bringing to the table and what skills am I armed with? Mm -hmm. uh, and some of it is coaching skills, like mm -hmm. you know, asking the right questions, but also pushing yourself to know, well, what is it that I'm digging deep in in terms of what I'm wanting to do? Oftentimes, mentorship gets mentioned in terms of my career. Well, it's incremental in terms mm -hmm. of life skill. Yeah. So maybe there's certain skills that you're looking at that you feel this mentor could help you with in mm -hmm. terms of that. So I, I love that you talked about that in terms of, well, what is it that we're actually talking about here? Mm -hmm. you know, and a lot of times it's um, finding this idea of passion and what makes you tick. Okay, well, what makes me tick is anything to do with human beings in the workplace, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. But I'm not detail-oriented yeah. at all. Yeah. And so that's a skill that you know, I have gotten help with in yeah. terms of mentoring yes. um, and even asking the questions. I asked um, Judy Beck for my free agent gig and the feedback, uh, some, some of that feedback came out and I had said to her directly, I'm not great at prioritizing and being detail-oriented. And so I got feedback back on that at the end of the project, which I knew I needed because then it helps me figure out what I need to do moving forward. Yeah. So I appreciate the, the, the lens of be specific mm -hmm. um, with yourself and with the mentor so you're actually getting some tangible feedback. Anything else on mentorship that you wanted to share, folks? I'll go first. Elsa, okay. Yes. Um, I think the other piece that we have to demystify a little bit what, the, what a mentorship relationship looks like, uh, similarly like learning. You know, there's a lot of this formal learning or mm. formal like in classroom, formal everything. Mentorship is the same. It can, it can vary. Mm -hmm. uh, the format or, or the length of the relationship can. It can be formal, it can be informal. There are obviously formal yeah. programs th through which we can access or establish a mentor-mentee relationship. But there's also those ones that are, yes, formal through a direct report or supervisor relationship from that standpoint. But the feedback or the conversations that you have with your supervisor, whichever level that happens to be, are constant mentoring opportunities. Mm -hmm. uh, so take that while it's not a formal mentor opportunity, in reality it is mm -hmm. at the same time. And, and also uh, other form, informal ones that I, well, I'll highlight both, another formal and an informal. So a formal mentoring uh, opportunity that is the, out there for the uh, managers that are part of this uh, or listening into this uh, panel, there is the ESDC mentoring program for aspiring directors. 
for which I actually, uh, to my surprise, and I think now happiness, I don't know. Uh, last year, I put up my hand to become a mentor as part of the program, because one of the other pieces that is highlighted as one of the criteria in terms of setting up these groups is having enough diversity yes. as part of these groups so that we are able to leverage that collective experience because you know sometimes you learn through listening or you know at least you're able to get additional ideas that maybe you didn't think at at the time etc etc or can prepare you better for what's coming down the road so and last year I was really surprised to see that when they were able to share with us the roster of everybody who's part of the program in last cycle, there was only me as one director mentoring from our WT region and one manager. And I was like, what happened here? Mm. Why is there one of each of us, and by the way, one of my managers, <laughs> <laughs> with whom I obviously had shared the information. Uh, so I was really pleased to see that this year for this cycle, for which I put up my hand and I have become a second time mentor now, there was very different strategy applied by our department in terms of the promotion of, mm -hmm. of the mentoring program to the point that now as part of my, I actually have a co-mentor, which is another, it's another colleague from our region. Mm -hmm. And I have three regional managers who I hadn't worked with before who are part of our yeah. mentoring group. So yeah. again, that quick switch in how mm -hmm. to market something, mm -hmm. just to explain again, doing one thing one way versus doing a thing a different way can have yeah. such different results. So yeah. that's what there's a couple of formal slash pseudo formal relationships, but an informal one that I wanted to highlight, it looks like I'm branding or selling myself here, but <laughs> here, uh, again, from my experience, you all see that we have our lovely charitable campaigns that go up every year. And uh, you've seen also that the auctions are something that keep increasing in terms of items. I have put up my hand personally, and I have asked my managers to put up their hand as in, let's become an auction item, as in time for mentoring opportunities, take me with you opportunities. Yeah. So again, these are potential opportunities, not, not only me and my managers, but we have yeah. all, you know, the whole gamut of leadership in the region who's putting up and volunteer their time. Obviously it's salary time, but that's okay. Yeah. But basically, right? But in reality, that's taking yet another thing on top of our already busy lives, right? And we do it because we really want to share and we want to, provide those additional opportunities for discussion that otherwise you potentially couldn't have. So mm -hmm. last year it was interesting because it was through my, you know, I'll, I'll give you an hour. So last year, I think one of them was, I can talk to you for an hour in, in, in any of my three languages, English, Spanish, French, or uh, I can give you an hour of my time in just English, like mentoring, take me with you. What do you want to know? Let's discuss. So last year, as one of the English, Spanish, French possibility, I actually was taken up by uh, somebody in Edmonton, I believe, visible minority herself, who was actually intrigued mm. as to why, like how I came to be as part of the public service. And in our conversation, she was like, wow, yeah, I never thought that way. And, you know, again, the, the notion of self-screening out, mm. or I don't think I'm ever going to get there. Yeah. So I feel, I feel, I hope, 
and so she told me, but I, I hope the, rip, the ripple effect still stands, that mm. she felt so much reinvigorated mm -hmm. into what her potential future path could look like because of the conversation. And it's not about me, but again, it's if you don't put yourself out there, if you don't become vulnerable to having those tough conversations with somebody, either completely unrelated to you through work, through this you know, charitable campaign opportunities, mm -hmm or through the mentoring uh, programs, none of us knows what we don't know. Exactly. Mm. So again, it's getting outside of your comfort zone and, and putting yourself out there and, and being frank and honest, as you said, yeah. as, as many of you have said, if you want something, be clear about what you want to get out of the conversation or the relationship so that none of you are wasting your time. Yeah. Um, thank you. Uh, there's so many things that I was thinking of as you were speaking, which maybe sounds bad because that maybe I wasn't actively listening. But um, there's a yeah, where are you? The, I was. <laughs> I wrote down notes, Elsa. Uh, I wanted to just start with, uh, and at least if we do want to, I want to get to you as well before we go to the next question. Um, you mentioned one thing about, uh, which made me think about um, a yoga retreat that I went to, and uh, the word guru was being used, and and it was used in the sense of a teacher. Uh, and how, um, depending on you know how you think of how you learn and who you want to learn from, mm -hmm. how your parents can be considered your first teachers. Mm -hmm. And when you talked mm -hmm. about formal and informal learning, uh, recognizing that well, life is learning. Yes. Like, and it's the kind of the world is your oyster kind of concept. University of life. Yeah, university <laughs> of life. And and I think that it was quite beautiful that you mentioned that you know regardless of how it's called by the institution or the enterprise, if you come with this mindset that I'm just here, I'm here to learn. Mm -hmm. um, both as a mentor and mentee. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So the idea that there's there's gains from both, uh, there's gains yeah. for both regardless, yeah. I think is really strong yes. uh, to recognize that, well, it, why am I putting myself out there as a mentor? Uh, and Or why is it that I'm doing what I do anyways? Mm -hmm. And I know why I do what I do. And I'm speaking personally speaking, yeah. my, my, my intent for, for being an advocate for a more human workplace, uh, knowing that I am an East Indian woman is because mm -hmm. I want my daughter to see more East Indian women in the workplace. Mm -hmm. And I don't see that myself. And so that is part of my intent. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think when you talk about visible minority and, and mentoring, what, what is it the skills that we're looking for and where can I get them? Mm -hmm. And getting them from different opportunities and putting yourself out there, whether it be formal or, or not, um, can be really powerful. Yes. And the public service has so much to offer. Mm -hmm. So why not grab at it? Yep. Why not grab at it? Lizzie. Yeah. <laughs> grab you. <laughs> She's mine. And, and what would you like? <laughs> so I want to echo, you know, what, what uh, already being said. Um, so there are various types of uh, mentor, uh, mentors and, you know, there are formal, informal. Uh, so uh, like uh, when I, when I uh, started enrichment, I, you know, like my colleague mentored me how to do the work. And I also had a colleague who mentored me about positive uh, parenting. Oh, and being calm so you know that's very important too so there are so many elements in your life mm -hmm. not just work you know you can learn from other people the mentor doesn't have to be manager or director or anyone mm -hmm. in, in senior level it mm -hmm. could be anyone um, and uh, uh, I, I when I was in New Brunswick I did went through uh, I did go through a, a formal mentorship program uh, and my mentor was the ADM uh, in the government and she taught me about work-life balance Imagine ADM in the government, normally like I just work, 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 but no, like she had two kids and she even took extended uh, maternity leave after the second kid to, you know, to balance her work and life. So if you are aiming for a senior level in the, in the, in the government, 
you can also manage your life mm -hmm. uh, and your family too. Mm -hmm. So, and uh, I also want to talk about like how to find the mentors. Um, you, you know, like some people are uh, keen about like going to events or doing some volunteer work. That's very important to find mentor through that. Uh, because when you go to events, you hear people, you see mm -hmm. people besides your colleagues, and you, you can find someone you want to talk to them and learn more from them. So when I was in New Brunswick, I volunteered on the uh, IPAC board, and the wonderful, like normally in a provincial government, ca like capital city of the province, uh, uh, like provincial government town, who are the volunteers on the, like, on the board? Normally they are ADMs or DMs. And I met a lady, she, uh, she was a DM of uh, the HR department, and she was like so. Um, I could see the leadership in her, and uh, like I really admire her. And then I kind of uh, approached her afterwards, saying like, "Can you be my mentor?" And I learned many things from her. So mm -hmm. you know, go to events and do volunteer work, and then you will meet people who you, you will admire and want to learn more. Love it. Love the idea of a tip on where to find a mentor, yeah. and I mm -hmm. really love the the part of technical operational skill in addition to life, soft mm -hmm. skill, call it whatever you want, that we have many roles. Mm -hmm. And so what you can learn from folks in the workplace will for sure extend beyond how to not get irritated with your kids. <laughs> As an example, many of us are parents. Yeah. And so uh, that's, that's great. Thank you. Can and I add one thing yes. really quickly? Um, also just talking about uh, going, finding a mentor, even if you have, let's say, a supervisor who's not too fond of your work, and I would say use them as a mentor because there's a reason why they're not fond of your work. Take their advice. Actually, I've had a, men, uh, a team leader who didn't like my work, and that is absolutely fine. You're not going to come across every single person who's going to love you and love your work. So what I did on a biweekly basis, I would go to her with my work and say, how would you improve it? That way, I was able to get that feedback and get her lens into what it is that I'm not touching on. Mm -hmm. What am I missing? What skills? So yeah, just great. Yeah. Yes, thank you. Um, Nikita, I don't think we've heard from you. Uh, I just want to add one very short thing. Sure. I, do you have to leave a bit early? Because I have an interview <laughs> in like 10 minutes, but um, yeah, the only thing I'm going to add is uh, where I am today is because of mentors. Jody, you were my mentor for quite some time too. I, I don't think I would be where I am today and someone being young in the government. It was so valuable having those mentors and having that access and I wish so many more people would not be afraid to put up their hand. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of my relationships with people that I know right now are very informal and I think a lot of times we mentor people without knowing we are mentoring yeah, exactly. them. I love that. Uh, even though there's like no written in paper or agreement between the two people, I think we all offer some sort of mentorship to the people mm -hmm. around us every time we interact or just provide a mm -hmm. little bit of advice or if they're just asking a question and you're giving that feedback. Beautiful. So yeah. They're everywhere, and we just have to put up our hands. Yeah, lovely. Sorry, and I have to leave early, no but worries. thank you so much, everyone. Thank, thank you so you. much, Nikita, for your time. Good luck. Thank you. Thank you. Um, to Nikita's point, it it, it can be. an um, I remember feeling honored when she asked. Uh, well, I don't know what I can say, but okay. Um, but I love. Just want to end on the mentorship piece. That mentorship can come from all over. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the national management community last year here in BC had the um, uh, peer coaching and peer mm -hmm. coaching circles that were done. And I'm not sure what's going to be happening this year, but again, acknowledgement and recognition that you know, at level, if you want to say it that way, mm -hmm. but recognizing okay. what we learn from around us. I'm moving my hands uh, out and about. Uh, my kids are my mentors, oftentimes. So it, there's, there's some power in, in recognizing where, where we learn from. 
Um, I'd love to actually just go to our sort of last question uh, because I feel the question three was around uh, describing a time uh, in being a, a visible minority helped you in your career and I feel like we've gotten a lot out of that already in our conversation. I think um, ending on a note uh, around what, you're, what you would love to see happen and your hope for visible minority employees and the actual network. Yes, Sagal, please. Because I'm the communications manager. <laughs> <laughs> the oh, okay, it makes sense for you to start. <laughs> um, we've actually done some data digging around what does visible minorities look like mm-hmm. in ESDC. Mm-hmm. And just to kind of give you some numbers behind, you know, what we are as a collective. So there's about, and again, it's based on self-declared information. Um, so it's not an exact science. But based on the numbers that we've seen, in the last fiscal, so 1819, visible minorities of the 25,000 employees in ESDC, 6,000 have self-declared, or around 6,000 have self-declared as visible minorities. To give you a lay of the land in terms of classifications and groups mm-hmm. and levels, um, what it looks like is that about 93% of visible minorities are in non-management roles meaning that they are EX minus two positions. As managers, there's about 6%, and as executives, so EX class, there's only 52 of the 550. So it's a very executive suite of people. Yeah. <laughs> um, so in terms of mentorship and those kind of things, if we're really looking to see you know, ourselves in our mentors, there, it's a very limited pool. Mm. And so this kind of goes into where I want to see visible minorities. I want to see more visible minorities Mm -hmm. in leadership positions. Mm -hmm. And to me, being a leader or making a difference doesn't have to mean that you're an EX. It just means that you are contributing and adding value. So to me, I want to see, we have diversity in terms of numbers, and I can get into all the weeds of that, Um, but from a number perspective, the department's actually doing really, really well. 6,000 out of you know, 25,000 may not seem like a lot, but we're doing a lot better than a lot of other departments. So we should be very proud of ourselves on that part. But I do think we've got the numbers in terms of diversity, but now it's about being included. Mm -hmm. So really having a voice at the table. Mm -hmm. And that's what I loved about what you said, take me with you. What a great program that the department Mm -hmm. has where, you know, senior management or management as an overall can take people to their meetings to kind of expose them to what those conversations look like. So then you can go back and add those skills and that kind of very special way of talking (laughs) to your, you know, to your toolbox. So that's where I kind of want to see. I want to see us moving away from just looking at diversity in terms of numbers and really looking Mm -hmm. at how could we include people and really have that value from their con- from mm-hmm. their contributions be something um, that we could take away. I love it, and I think that within the in the government, uh, a lot of it ends up being a numbers game. Yep. Uh, unfortunately, whether that be the public service employment survey or employment yep. equity gaps, and so we yeah. need to bring. Uh, but where is the actual meaning exactly. and contribution? Mm-hmm. And so physically, you know, it may not seem like it may seem like rocket science for us, but in a lot of other sectors, having an individual who happens to be a visible minority at a meeting because they're being mentored is the way of, is the way of the world in some sectors yeah. and, and some other organizations. Great that we have it here and so if that's what it took which was a formal program then capitalize on it anyone else lizzie um so i want to see more networking uh, among the visible minorities so maybe we can have more events like this uh, because it, it is it is easier for us to relate to other people's uh, mm-hmm. other visible minorities experience or 
and, and then like if I have questions regarding because being a visible minority, I can ask someone who have the same background. Um, and for the visible minority network, uh, like I feel that this is a great event. So mm -hmm. um, let's have more. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yes, oh, thank you. <laughs> uh, Nagam. Honestly, I feel like uh, you read my mind mm. and said it. I really hope, you know, when I first started in government, as I said, I started really young. There really was barely anyone represented at the top. And um, there was really not many managers even, let alone. And so to see the change happen, it's great, but it's not fast enough for my liking. And I would love to see more amalgamation and integration and all these nice uh, words that put us together. And let's hold hands and sing Kumbaya. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but truly, I would love to see more like, um, one of you said it. I think Jody, you said it. You you do it because you want to inspire your children to see it. And truly, we need to. We are trying to be employers of the future. We are, ESDC especially. They are very proud of the fact that they're top 100. If we are in the top 100, then let's just aim to be the top 10. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, right? That would be my uh, hopes and aspirations, personally. Yeah. yeah, and I'll be honest with you, you, you Elsa mentioned something about um, th being inspired. Someone was inspired by you, see seeing you and wanting to know your story, and that was because of the way you look. I mean, you're a beautiful human being, but they saw there, there was a commonality, right? Mm -hmm. And I remember being at a uh, HR professional uh, learning event maybe two years ago, and I, I did a talk there on talent management or something, and afterwards somebody came over and said, you know, it was a great talk which was fine, of course it was, <laughs> but uh, she was also Indo-Canadian uh, and said, you know, I'm really happy that it was you that spoke because oftentimes when it's HR and senior leadership roles, right. it's never someone of color. And I said, I know, there's a reason why I'm here. Um, and so for me, it really is this desire. And Sagal, you said it in terms of leadership everywhere, mm -hmm. humanity everywhere. And so my dream is that when we um, at Grassroots are asking folks to come speak at events, um, please go recognizing that it doesn't matter about title. Mm -hmm. Go to the folks that you think have some a cool story to share or a cool skill set uh, and see what that brings in terms of diversity. And I don't mean this in a disparaging way when it comes to BC, but we have amazing leaders, formal leaders in leadership roles that are always coming out. Um, and some of them are not of color. And I think that there's something to the numbers that, that Seagal talked about. There's, so if, if the percentage is that low, then we at Grassroots need to look for more of us at these events and to be mm -hmm. forward thinking. And so that the folks that we're wanting to draw that are not public servants see what's happening and yeah. say, okay, I see myself up there. Mm -hmm. yes. Oh, the government does hire people that are brown and that are now an ADM, mm -hmm. yes. which I know exists. Yes. But we just need to see more of it. Yes. Mm -hmm. Elsa. And maybe just to, to continue that thread mm -hmm. uh, of the, we want to see more visible minorities up there. Uh, again, let's remember, and, and for those who haven't heard it, there is a huge wave of retirement coming yes. on mm -hmm. in the public service yes. in the next five years, mm -hmm. especially just in the WT region in Service Canada. There mm -hmm. is. Um, I think half my colleagues are going to retire, and I'm like, what? Uh, so, <laughs> like at, at the EX, so at the EX level, right? Yeah. And 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 similarly in the management cadre. So there is a huge opportunity to not only self-identify purposefully, mm -hmm. but really 
put yourself out there, continuing with my same tune, put yourself out there, let your skills be known because there's a huge wave of opportunity coming. It's already started, I can see it. But again, this is one of the reasons why I do it. You know, I know like the wave is right here. It's already, I'm starting feeling to, you know, get my feet wet type of thing that we need to be supporting our upcoming and rising and aspirating, aspiring leaders because we need everybody to be stepping up to the plate. So. Absolutely. We need to see more visible minorities, and, and I do believe that to be the, the case. I also just want to throw out there that oftentimes in the language that we use around diversity and inclusion, um, you'll hear things like diversity of thought. And, and I do feel that is more inclusive because you have people that are at the table that may not be a visible minority, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but have what we talked about, diversity in their thinking and yeah. perspectives yeah. and are looking for the same things that we as a collective are looking for. So I, I just wanted to say that because I don't want to, folks to feel like well because you you're not a visible minority we don't want you around no yeah. we there is honor and and yeah. power in numbers when it comes to that and so i think that oftentimes i quite like hearing diversity of thought because um the unconference that happened in victoria i ended up uh, facilitating a, a topic around policy and white privilege Ooh, yes. and it was a very powerful topic to be facilitating and in the room were a few uh, men who were uh, anglican background mm-hmm. and they they courage to be sitting in the room and they said you know I get it I'm one of the ones that benefited from this mm-hmm. but I'm also one that wants to see what we can do moving forward mm-hmm. and so I just wanted to, to, to say that uh, any last final words maybe we could do a one word checkout and I'd love to hear from the folks that were kind enough to join us in the room today if there is one word that if you wouldn't mind sharing with us as a checkout um, maybe Lee, we could start with you oh my gosh Sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be absorbing what's gone around this table today for days and unpacking what I've heard coming from the Indigenous Employees Circle and in a background where I came from uh, similar to Nikita I recognize where I was growing up and I, I wasn't grown up uh, raised with my traditional ways and I would reject it at some point in fact I think you could say it at, at some point I even had racist thoughts towards my own people because of the assumptions that I had mm-hmm. from my friends it growing up in this city mm-hmm. it took quite some time for me to to come around full circle on that and embrace who I am mm. and to have the courage to go and explore who my people were and who they are and who we're becoming. What I see happening around this table and your hopes and dreams, um, I see people who, it, it's not about bearing one another's burdens. Mm-hmm. You guys are, are like, you know what, I'm going to jump down in the hole and we're going to get back up together. You know, we can even spend some time sitting here and we can talk about how. Um, you know how the government's moving too slow and I'm feeling like a cog in the wheel and then you have that camaraderie right mm-hmm. there's there's a brethren here that yes. I, I see and and I'm, I'm happy to have been invited so you know what in terms of um, uh, of beyond 2020 and this new way of thought I hear people who are inclusive agile and equipped yes. so I, I can't give you guys one word I could go on for hours well I'm a big talker so I mean it's ironic that I'm asking you, you folks word. to say one word as we've been talking for an hour and a half thank you very much Lee yeah, I'm sorry you. folks the three uh, four of you in the room I don't know your names but if you I'm have so best I work here at Service Canada uh, it was quite an eye-opener to learn the differences that everyone has brought to the table Hi everybody, my name is Megan. I work here at Integrity Harbor Center. I'm sitting here with these other people and this is very informative. Um, I belong to the Employees with Disabilities Network, so I'm kind of here to 
see how you guys are running things. Wonderful. Get some ideas. But there's one thing I did take from today is that I'm sitting here and I don't know who's the visible minority because there's like three, four people from each. Uh, but I do want to stress the, the blended or mixed because my niece is, you know, she's half Asian, half Eastern European of some sort. I don't know, it's, uh, it's mixed Czechoslovakian, Scandinavian. Yeah. But um, my family is, I'm third generation Canadian born China, of Chinese background. Mm. But my aunts and uncles were probably one of the first to mix you know, mixed marriage, like Scandinavians and uh, German and French Canadian. But I, when I was growing up, I never, I never saw them as any different. My aunt was my aunt, yeah, whether she was white or Chinese, yeah. <laughs> right? And my cousins, if they were, you know, half of whatever, they were still my cousins. It didn't matter to me. So that's just my my background and my upbringing. But I like to see some change, change that we just look at. Don't even have to look at anybody and see what they look like. Yeah but just treat them the same. Because mm -hmm. if I'm on the phone, they say you speak perfect English. You don't have an accent. You're Chinese, that's a strange name. <laughs> I have an Irish name, an Irish for French name, right? I have oh, a first yeah. name. What was your yeah. first name? Megan. Megan, okay. So yeah. thank they you. think I'm like Irish. <laughs> thank you. Just that I work in this, uh, this site. And uh, so, uh, well, it's eye-opener. It's, it's really, really great uh, event, actually. And. Uh, I was surprised like there's no, not many people from this side because it's a, it's a huge side and uh, there are a lot of visible minority representation here. Uh, but only a few of us, that's it. Great. But it was, it was really great, especially the, the numbers she mentioned there, like uh, that was a little alarming as well. Mm. Uh, but Don't be alarmed, we're just gonna grow. <laughs> <laughs> but good in terms of, a, yeah. know, like sometimes we hear the word real, words reality check, yes. so that's, that's right. great, yeah. That's right. And great, uh, thank you for the feedback on communication and, and you know getting more folks out, that's great. Is it, was it Rachel? Rachel? Yeah, I, I just feel incredibly inspired by everything today. It was fantastic and I feel very fortunate to be offered to attend by, by my director, Elsa, by <laughs> I'm her EA, and it's, whether, yeah, it's just incredible. It's fantastic. I'm so thank happy I got to come. Great, thank you. Do we want to open oh, it up to I the I figured phone? out the one oh. word. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll get rid of the government packaging and, and the Beyond 2020 uh, men, uh, frame of mind to say belonging. That's what I got out of today. Um, I'm so glad that Lee <laughs> so thought of the last word because you did our, our beautiful opening and I think closing under the word belonging is beautiful. Do we beautiful. want to open it? Oh yeah, sorry. Um, <laughs> hello amazing human with glasses. Sorry, I just, <laughs> sorry, I just wanted to add, um, uh, I think one of the huge things that I found that was kind of missing from today is um, we do see in senior management no visible minority being um, represented. However, there is an extra layer as a woman because we have double barriers of mm -hmm. being a woman and, and a visible minority. And oftentimes I see in my experience, um, if they are trying to target yeah. visible minorities, it's usually my male colleagues. Mm. So I just wanted to bring that up because I know that that wasn't really touched upon the double barriers and, huh. uh, of being a woman. As well. Okay, thank, thank you. you. Thank you. That's great. Belonging, I'd love to end on that. Yes, that's thank you all of you so much for being here today, um, our guests as well as our, our panelists. Um, it was really, really inspiring. Thank you so thank much. You thank, thank, you. You. thank you. Thank you for everyone who joined as well. Thank you.